the tweet that I'd mentioned about um, the Looney Tunes and Twin Peaks thing. Yeah. Uh, so the the one podcast that I listen to, they're talking about all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I know you're not a horror movie guy. Right. I don't know which of them you've seen, if any. Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, yes. Probably anything with Alice Cooper in it. Okay, perfect. So there's one with Alice Cooper in it. Right. Um, possibly the most maligned of the Freddy Krueger movies. Right. Um, there, they had all sorts of different treatments and all sorts of stuff. There was a script from Peter Jackson before he was Peter Jackson that they were going to do. Kong Peter Jackson? Yes. Oh, wow. Because this was at the time where he was... And again, I don't know how familiar you are, you are with Peter Jackson's viewer. I know he did a couple of horror movies in the beginning, and then he did Meet the Feebles, so... Right, this is post-Meet the Feebles. Gotcha. It was like... Uh, he had just done this movie called Heavenly Creatures, he'd already done Meet the Feebles, he was probably making uh, Dead Alive at this point. And then he would go on to get hired and do like the Frighteners and all sorts of shit like that, but anyway... So he has a pitch, but then someone at uh, New Line gets the idea of this last Freddy Krueger movie should be like Looney Tunes meets Twin Peaks. All right. And there are scenes in the movie, and again, I don't know how much you remember or don't remember, um, but again, just having listened to the podcast, so it's all very fresh in my head, there are like specific scenes with twists specific scenes where they go back to the original Springfield and no children exist. Mm -hmm. And Roseanne and Tom Arnold are just two random people that live there and they're freaking out because a child has shown up. But by a child, it's someone in their like mid to late 20s. Wow. That was supposed to be their Twin Peaks influence on the Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Stupid is what it is, is right. what you're saying. There's the stupid influence that is David Lynch. Right. And I don't know if and if anyone knows this, you would probably know this. Um the guy who is Alice Cooper's manager. Right. I can't think of his name right now. Like we're recording, but like this doesn't matter. He was the subject of a documentary mm -hmm. uh called Ubermensch. Hang on. Wasn't that a Simpson thing? No, it's actually like a Nazi thing. Oh, super, it is, but... Supermensch was uh, the name of the documentary. It's The Legend of Shep Gordon. Whether that name rings a bell to you or not. He was the fourth stooge. No. Uh, okay. He is a Hollywood producer, agent, and so forth. His best friend is Alice Cooper. I've, I know of Shep, and I think he's even, like, written, a, like, the name of the song or something, okay. like Shep, you know what I mean? In between, while New Line was off doing whatever they were doing with Freddy Krueger, Shep and Alice Cooper fronted Wes Craven money to try and make a new Freddy Krueger. Hang on. Yes? I'm talking about scary movies. Mwah. Good night, Bombadil. Love you. Um, they fronted Wes Craven money to make a new Freddy Krueger. 
Ah. Are you familiar with the movie Shocker? Oh yeah, that's that's his he they somebody a Megadeth did the No More Mr. Nice Guy song on there. Right. So that was Wes Craven being fronted money by Shep Gordon and Alice Cooper to try and make a new Freddy Krueger. Oh, by new you mean a like a new character like, not an actual new Freddy Krueger movie. Or was it a Freddy was it a Freddy Krueger movie and then it fell through and they're like just make it the shocker. No, at that point Wes Craven no longer had the rights to ah, Freddy okay. Krueger. So they're like Wes, you you did it once before. We know you could do it again. Here's money and we're doing this so when this becomes the next Freddy Krueger, you own this lock stock and barrel. That's right. We're on the ground floor. Right. Of the Shocker. Of the Shocker. Starring Mitch Pileggi. Oh, he, my favorite thing he ever did was narrating Secrets of the Magicians. Yep. That was my favorite thing he ever did. Do you remember the um, the Masked Magician's real name? Um, the, I do and I don't. Because you remember they did the big reveal. Yes, and it was a guy we had all heard of. Never. Like, vaguely. Like, if right. you were... If you were big on the Las Vegas magician scene in the late 90s and early 2000s, this was a guy that you knew. Right. If you had a subscription to Poof Magazine, you knew who this was. <laughs> right. Or Tada. See, I subscribed to Tada. I was a Poof guy. Right. That was like that was the Mad Magazine cracked, you know, sort of thing. You right. went with Poof, I went with Tada. Poof was from Arrested Development, right? <laughs> right. Tada right. is from uh, Dave Attell's stand-up. Right. I forget how he he goes. He goes. So I was leafing through Tada, the magazine for and by magicians. Right. And then several years later, they did the like. It was one of those like we both kind of came to the same idea. Right. You know that's why right. stealing jokes versus whatever. Right. Right. Have you seen the new poof in the office? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get sued. No, Poof Magazine. Does this, this chair squeak? Oh, I'd kill for that ass. Well, I was gonna keep this in until that point. Oh no, we gotta. I'll keep it in. I don't care. Hey, this is episode 154 of Longbox Heroes After Dark. Also, colon Gallifrey Birds Roman numeral 10. That's a mouthy hashtag right there. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about a bunch of nonsense. Well, that's usually what we talk about before a show starts. Right. We need to have the sideshow for the sideshow of the sideshow. That's right. Mm-hmm. You okay there, Joe? Yeah, just looking over. I'm I'm falling down the shocker uh, wormhole here. Oh. Now, now the shocker, the movie, not the Marvel villain, right. which was originally going to be called the Vibrator. Oh yeah. Did you ever know that story? No. The Shocker. You know how the Shocker's power is? He has the vibro things on his wrist. Right, and he wears the puffy suit, to, so it's like a shock absorber for himself. Right, sure. and there's like a V on his chest out of it. Like, if you look at the costume, <laughs> you can kind of see the V. Do you yes. know what I'm talking about? Well, when Stan Lee created the Shocker, his original thing was... The character is the vibrator, and he will vibrate you to death. <sighs> and I don't know who it was, whether it was, like, Ramita Sr. or whoever was drawing the book was, like, Stan. Like, I, I come here, i got to show you something. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And they ended up changing it to the shocker. But the V is still kind of there and he, he vibrates you. So, and then years later, the, like, you know, the shocker never had anything untoward, you know, towards it. Right. So I just always found that funny that it was, it was going to be the vibrator, but we went with the cleaner shocker. If I was in the mood and we didn't have nine hours of podcast to, to do here this evening, I would have attempted my Stanley impression of him Ugh. not understanding what a vibrator was. Oh, boy. That would have been comedy gold right mm. there. Oh, boy. So are Save we ready? It. Are we ready for Gallifrey Birds, Todd? Uh, oh, who isn't ready for Gallifrey Birds? That's the real question. Okay. So at least for these last couple, Todd. Yeah. I'm going first. Okay, if you say so, big man. Because the main event is you with the wrestling. Um, that's what everyone is here for, especially the next two episodes after this one. Not to say that this one's not going to be good. I have a feeling that I've yep. given you material to work with, Oof. just like you <laughs> attempted to give me material to work with. I, I love the way you slid in and attempted in there. Right. All right. Ugh. Okay. Here we go. So you gave me two... Uh, doctors, or two episodes of the Doctor. Right. Uh, I assume this is the tenth Doctor. Yes, that's David Tennant, aka well, the Purple Man. David Tennant. I, I honestly couldn't remember his name, and he is going to be the Purple Man from here on out. Oh now, no! Now I'm guessing, and I'm only guessing that these were uh, from different seasons. Yes, they were. Because Todd just gave me loose discs for these Did ones. You... Did you want the whole box sets? No, no, no. Okay. But I'm just saying. So, we'll get into how I was how I was able to use my powers of intuition to figure out that these were different seasons. So, how many seasons was the Purple Man also the Doctor Who man? Uh, he had four seasons, I believe, and four or four or five specials. There was a he was supposed to get an extra season, but like all British actors, he wanted to do he wanted to do stage oh, for a while. Boy. So they worked around his schedule and cut his season down, his final season to uh, to five. I want to say he was was he three or four seasons. I forget. It was either three or four seasons and a couple episodes. A couple specials. Right. So the first episode that you had me uh, watch where you said watch first is an episode called Blink. Yes. And to pull back the curtain a little bit. I don't know no Doctor Who. Even after this point, after seeing the ten Doctors that I've seen up to this point, um, I saw the Day of the Doctor special, probably fell asleep during it. I saw that one where the Doctor is married to the TARDIS. Or the, what is it? The, tar the TARDIS comes alive. That was written by Neil Gaiman. Right. So I've seen that one as well. And maybe another one? I don't know. Maybe. You, did, you saw the one... Where it was a Christmas Carol, where you were seeing him take the Ebenezer Scrooge character yes. through his life. Right. That was an 11th Doctor. Okay. Uh, so uh, even with all, even with that, that this is the most Doctor Who that I've dealt with in my entire life. Right. But there were bits and pieces of this that this is kind of when Doctor Who really became a thing. Yes. Oh, yes. And by that I mean, prior to this, if you said Doctor Who, much like I do on the show, you say, you say it's the guy with the scarf. 
yes, uh, up to that point. And I don't mean was... like you. I don't mean sci-fi people. I don't mean comic book people. I mean like Joe Schmo off the street. Yes, it would be Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, the scarf. He appears like in Simpsons bits, Futurama bits. Like that's the iconic doctor up to that point. Up to this point. Yes. It was up to this point where this particular season, this iteration of the doctor started to become a bigger thing in pop culture. Mm -hmm. And it would start to permeate more. Yes. So when you gave me the DVD and I saw the image on the DVD, I'm like, oh, this is a thing that I am vaguely aware of right because it was something that it was such a big thing um this particular episode that i would see people using gifs of this or images of this um in their signatures on message boards or like places like that that you would go to online in the mid to late 2000s right so i had some sort of knowledge of what i was getting myself into with this episode so we start off um, with a young lady who is hopping a fence to get into a building. And there's really no explanation as to why yet, okay? Right. But she's wearing a scarf. So already I know, you know, this is a nod to people <clears throat> like me. Anytime a person wears a scarf, it's like, ah, oh, we, we see you watching out there, dumb people. <laughs> so she goes into this house, and she's looking for something. Again, it's not clear what she's looking for. But she notices that some of the wallpaper is pulled off, okay? Mm -hmm. And so she starts pulling it off, and forgive me if I forget her name. Sally Sparrow. I knew her last name, Sally Sparrow. Underneath the wallpaper is very specific graffiti specifically to her. Mm -hmm. From the doctor in 1969. Mm -hmm. So she... Gets freaked out um, and calls her friend, um, Kathy? Nightingale. Kathy's the friend. Right. Okay. So she's explaining that this crazy thing is going on. She goes to Kathy's place. And her brother is, you know, what you would, what central casting would call a slacker. <laughs> Nailed it. Right. And he's watching a bunch of, and he has a bunch of TVs, like he's obsessively watching something that has the doctor on it. Mm hmm Which seems odd to me. I'm like, what's going on? Why is the doctor in the TV? Because usually the doctor doesn't do a lot of stuff in modern times. It's always off on some other world if it is. Okay. So they go back to the house. She br uh, Sally brings Kathy with her. And as they're hopping the fence, um, uh, Kathy makes a joke and says, Oh, together, Sparrow and Nightingale. Uh, I like the sound of that. And then Sally says, That's too ITV for me. What is that, Todd? What, is that this a is... British reference I don't get? Yes, BBC is the, the, the like, you know, the government-run TV Right, thing. your BBC One, your BBC Two. Right. ITV is one of the other, like, networks, let's call it. Okay. Over there. And 
you know, I guess the, 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 the thing with it is, and I could be wrong about this because I don't know every British thing there is, but it's more like the, like, where they, they try to do like classical stuff on, on BBC, like they'll do Shakespeare, they'll do Doctor Who too and do other shows, but they try to keep it up brow. They always said like ITV was the low brow. TV show. It was like that was what what brought over Married with Children and The Simpsons and it was like <laughs> we're going to we're going to do all like different things and do like a lot of fart and dick jokes and stuff like that. Gotcha. So that's kind of the the I, I from the gist that I get, but I you know, we could ask somebody at the comic shop one of these days. But go ahead. Mm, I'm okay. I know you are. So they're investigating in this house. Uh Sally is showing Kathy, this weird thing, um, with the very specific graffiti underneath the whatever. Now, they also notice that there are these statues around. Now, they don't notice it at first, but we, as the watcher of this, notice that these statues are moving position, changing position, uh, getting closer to the two young ladies. Uh, there's a knock at the door. Kathy says, I'm going to investigate. Sally gets the door. The person is actually asking for Sally mm-hmm. and gives her a letter, a package, like a, not like a box, but like a very large envelope with a lot of things in it. And it's essentially like, I was told to deliver this at this exact moment to this exact place. And it's not like it's her house. It's kind of like a rundown building sort of thing. Right. And, and just really quick, the re- they do explain earlier on why Sally was in the house. She likes old things and she was there photographing okay. like antique stuff. And this all like something weird happens that we, the, the Go ahead. We move on from that so quickly. That's why it didn't register. Not a problem, but You know what like, I mean cuz like like I remember she had a camera sure, but like that never comes up again. Right. I think it, well, actually, I think it does. I think she asks when she goes in with Kathy, what were you doing here? And she's like, blah, blah, blah. I like old things, blah, blah, blah. And then has one of my favorite lines where she's like, she's like, the, like old things make me sad. She's like, what's so great about being sad? And she literally says, sad is deep or, or sad is happy for deep people. And I always love that quote, but mm. go ahead. So as she's fiddling through the letter, right? Mm-hmm. looking at all this sort of stuff, and she doesn't believe it because apparently while this goes on, one of the statues gets the jump on Kathy, and all of a sudden Kathy is gone. She's mm-hmm. whisked away to another time and another place. Mm-hmm. Hull. Right. To Hull, which is another part of England apparently, mm-hmm. in 1920. We now find out that this letter that Sally is getting is information from Kathy, who was whisked away. It's like, tell my brother I love him, kind of letting her know that she's okay, but not telling her what happened. Well, she doesn't really understand it either. Right, and that's right, of course. So at this point, I'm like, oh, well, no wonder everyone likes this episode. They essentially just ripped off the B-plot from Back to the Future 2. Yep, that's that's what I, everybody always says. It's like, how do you get information? Back to the Future too. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the police first, or does she go back to tell the brother? She goes back to tell the brother. Okay, she goes back to tell the brother, and like the brother is kind of like, oh, you know, she really said she loves me, huh? You know, so on and so forth. And he's still watching um, 
the DVDs. Oh no, because she goes to the brother at his job. Right. He has a. He works at a DVD store. Right. Like that sells used DVDs and books, apparently. Right. And he's fascinated with this guy who no one knows who he is, who just appears on these DVDs at random, sewingly. They're ghost DVD extras. And him and his buddies online all talk about it, all, you know, trying to figure out what this is, why this is. And obviously we, as a watcher of Doctor Who, know that this is Doctor Who and know that this is going to be integral to the plot. Right. But we're not there yet. No. So as this, as she's explaining this, the brother says, or no, not the brother, um, the brother leaves the, other the room. Worker. Mm-hmm. And the thing keeps unpausing. And yes, he says, it yes, seems as though it's talking to Sally. Mm-hmm. As though the doctor on a DVD extra is having a conversation with Sally. Not mm-hmm. just saying random things. It's kind of like an answer and repeat sort of thing. Right. So she gets a little freaked out and she goes to leave. And as she's leaving, the guy at the front of the DVD store is watching something else on TV. And the TV essentially says, I don't know why when stuff like this happens to people, (laughs) they just don't go immediately to the police. Right. Okay. So she goes to the police. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the first of about three or four times in the show where we get the really super overtly exciting music for nothing going on. She's mm-hmm. literally walking across the street in the rain, and the music is like, and she's walking across the street in the rain. There's nothing else going on. Was there any angels in the background? None yet, because we don't okay. see the angels in the background. And so she goes into the police office, takes, you know, she's giving her whatever it is, and then um, Billy Shipton is the guy? Yep. Who he- I love. Billy Shipton is the best. Go okay. Ahead. So Billy Shipton comes over and he's like, oh, I got this. I got this case. You know, we're good. And um, so. Oh, by the way, something you did forget is while she was at the key. Yes. At the house with, right. when she got the letter, she found a key. I was going to get to that once we got downstairs. Okay. Well, it happened then. So I didn't know if you forgot. I'm no, sorry. no, no. Because I'm still putting the pieces together. My notes are a little jumbled, nope, and I no watched problem. this a couple days ago. Like, usually I watch it almost immediately, so I right, better that, watch a lot of shit to prepare for this week. True, but it is a key plot point, right. so I'm sorry I stepped okay. on it. No, it's quite alright. So, uh, Billy immediately uh, puts gets himself over as possibly the greatest secondary character in the history of what I've seen in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor, he's fun, He's he feels like a real person. Yes, he does. You know what, in a sci-fi, wibbly-wobbly, timebly-wimbly show, he mm-hmm. seems like the only real person. And I'm like, bo- and don't step on me here, but I'm like, boy, I hope he stays around for a while. He could become a companion, Joe. Sure, I don't know. So the, he takes, uh, he, she's explaining the situation to him. And they go downstairs, and there's all these, like, abandoned cars downstairs and mm-hmm. a police box, right? Right. And at th- it's at this point where I lamented to you last week when we did the, the switch that how hot my wife gets when she sees people of the bumper sticker 
mm-hmm. um, on their on their car that says, my other car is a TARDIS, or something like that, and she gets super mm-hmm. hot about it. Right. I would have to show her this, because they found a TARDIS, a police box, and where do they store it with other cars? Well, all those cars yes. were people that were near the, the house. house disappeared. And they disappeared a la Kathy Nightingale. Right. But that's the thing. It's like, here's all these cars and a TARDIS. Right. So, My other car is a TARDIS. Right. Anyway. Their, other, their other car is a TARDIS. So they say they can't figure it out. He's like, it has fake windows in it. I don't even know if it's real. You know, they don't even have these around anymore. We can't get it opened up. And as Todd mentioned, she had found a key, Sally, pronouns pal, and she has the key on her person still. And this is why the statues now are following her Mm -hmm. to get the key. And also, as we learn here, to get the TARDIS. Billy is very forthcoming. He says, I quit my shift. I'm done for the day. Sally, I want to go on a date with you. Let's go out for a drink. And they have a very fun, playful back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it's at this moment I realize in, what, literally the five minutes that he's been introduced, I'm like, well, he's going to die now. This is a damn (laughs) shame. Yep. So the statues kind of converge on him. And then... um. So, how, and again, remind me, how does she get the message to go see Billy? Okay, what had happened was she got his, she got, he, she gave him his, her phone number. She gets the call from him. Right, but in the time that the angels converged on her, him, they touched him, sent him back to 1969, which was luckily near where the doctor was, and he had a device that went ding when things happen. Right, and he has and a like, and he has a fun little thing where he talks about like it also poaches eggs, so he's got to <laughs> keep it away from the hen house and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And already the little bit that we've seen of the doctor in this so far, I like him. Right, and this is where the the weeping angels get explained. Right, where they're like these quantum lock things. When you look at them, they stop, but they they you they they can't hurt you. You can't hurt them. But if you look away, they can move, and then they can touch you. And they they're the only race in the universe that kills you politely. They send you back, and I love this premise actually. They send you back into the past and live off your potential energy mm-hmm. and just let you die away. From them, and he tells them, "You have to get a message to Sally Sparrow, but you have to take the long way because they've nicked my motor. I'm trying to get, you know, my my police box, and so uh, Shipton has to live out his life to give her the message. And he she she gets the call to meet her, her at the hospital. And I'll let you. That's I'm just trying to get you up to speed. You know. Okay." I would have been able to explain all that, because yes. And the other thing that you forgot is that the statues also cover their own eyes as well. Sure. Just, in, just so they don't end up looking at each other. Right. Anytime they lock eyes with someone. Right. Okay. So, Sally gets the call from Billy at the hospital. He's now an old man. Uh, he was told by the doctor to come and relay this message to her. And it's the, and while he was back in 1969, he lived a full life. He met a girl, also named Sally, married, etc. He also opened up a printing thing, a publishing thing, then a video thing, and then a DVD thing. Mm-hmm. So the pieces are now starting to come together with those DVDs. 
why the doctor is on those DVDs, we now learn that from the brother that all these extras are just on these certain 17 DVDs. Right. He has the list. He gives it to Sally. Sally looks at the list. Light bulb goes off. These are the only 17 DVDs that I own. Right. So now she has the sit down. They put the DVD in. It's having the conversation. While it's having the conversation, I say it, I mean the DVD ghost extra and Sally, the brother, is transcribing all of this. Mm-hmm. So he could post it online and share with his buddies. This information being posted online is how the doctor knows everything that Sally is going to say. Right. And this is how they're able to have the conversation, and this is able how this is a this is how he's able to get this information to her. So she figures out um the the statue stole the TARDIS. They brought it back to the house. But Sally has the key, so they keep coming for her. She goes back to the house, and they end up in a situation where she's looking for the TARDIS. And the brother is face-to-face with one of the statues, right? Mm -hmm. And now, I mentioned before about the super exciting music for no reason. There's a couple of the times where it it was something exciting going on, but the music made it seem like it was supposed to be way more exciting than it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very cool scene of tension where he's trying to keep that statue from pursuing, but he's starting to fail and he's starting to fail. And there's a bunch of other times where the statues move much quicker when mm-hmm. you blink. But in this instance, for the dramatic purposes of the third half of the show, they don't move as quickly as they did in the first two halves of the show. Okay. But I'll forgive you. I'll forgive it. So, is it still raining? I don't remember if it's still raining or not. No, that has all to do with when Shipton dies. Okay. Remind me about that? Well, basically, she goes to him, and she has the list on her, but she doesn't know she has the list of 17 DVDs, like, what they're about. And he goes, and he has the conversation with her. He's like, says, basically, yes, I got into the DVD thing. I put the extras on the DVD. And the doctor only told me that... I that I should tell you that look at the list you'd have it by now mm-hmm. and he she goes and but I'd never understand it she goes well s- silly you when you when I find out I'll tell you and he goes she, he goes no the doctor told me this is my, that like, I, I would on my last day right and I have until the rain stops and she and he's like would you stay with me and I I, I get choked up every time during the scene because when he sees her for the first time and she gives her his number, she says, he's like, I'm doing this because Sally, because, uh, life is, life is short and you are hot. (laughs) And then when he's dying, he goes, Oh, Sally Sparrow, um, life, you know, you life is long and you are still hot. And I was like, like really, when you watch this again, there's a lot of like, things that rhyme and and I love it. He's like, will you stay with me? And he's like, when did my hands get so old? And that really resonates with me as I get older watching that. And I love that scene. Shipton is like young Shipton and old Shipton are amazing. Yeah. He ends up passing away with the rain and she's kind of devastated, but she's all put the pieces together now. Okay. And the reason the doctor knows What's on the DVD? You said it's on the internet. That's not why he knows what he knows. Okay. 
it's because of the ending of the episode. Well, okay, no, no, no. So he he says because when he's transcribing the conversation, mm-hmm. the brothers transcribing the conversation, he says I have to put it online, and then that's how they say, well, that's how they get that bit of information of the conversation, right? Okay, no, I think it's he he's it's from the ending of the episode what Sally does. That's how well, he gets all the information. Well, again, uh, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna debate you on this because. Right. Not a problem. Okay. Um, so they're at the house. They're trying to get to the TARDIS. The TARDIS is in the basement. The, st- the statues are kind of converging on them. They get inside the TARDIS. Um, and they have one of the DVDs with them. And that's like what they need to put in the TARDIS to make it work. But as it's working, the statues start coming in and surrounding it, right? Mm-hmm. So they duck down. The doctor gets the TARDIS out of there. With the statues around them, the statues now all look at each other, and now they are stuck there forever. Yeah, they're quantum locked because they're looking at each other. Right. So the doctor saved them. Mm-hmm. So um, we flash forward uh, a little bit for whatever the reason is, and um, what's the brother? And again, I forget the brother's name, but whatever, you know. Right. Which is cool because they end up naming the shop Nightingale and Sparrow. Right. Like the TV show for ITV. It all comes, right, it all comes back, that part all comes back full circle from the beginning of the episode. And Sally kind of can't move on with her life because she's still obsessed with the whole thing that happened to her. Like, she's like, how does the doctor know? Right. How does he know? And she's trying to figure it out. And he's like, well, you know, it's kind of preventing you from moving on with the rest of your life. Kind of intimating very subtly that, you know, there's a bit of a tumultuous relationship between these two and obviously Mm -hmm. it can't go to the next level because she's still so preoccupied with this right he says i'm gonna go next door for some milk um as he's leaving she's looking at him go but she also knows the doctor going down the street right she goes out to stop him but she's talking to a version of the doctor before everything else that just happened in this previous episode happens Right. So he doesn't know any of this. He's off to go do some other thing. Mm-hmm. And he, she then hands... Now, I, I was under the impression that she only handed him the original letter from Sally. No, I, she, okay. kept the, she kept the running dossier. Like, this happens, this happens, and she gives it, like, you're, you're going to need this in 1969 so you can write down what's on the wall. Like, cause that wasn't in the letter. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. what, like, doc, it's every, she's kept a running diary of everything that's happened. And what you might be thinking of, he's like, I have everything you say on my auto cue, which is basically just a teletype machine in front of his face. Mm-hmm. And that's what he said. But it's because he wrote down the stuff, uh, shorthand between what was on the DVD. She puts that in the packet. She has every bit of information he's going to need to give her the information. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Right. Um, so again, I, I was, it was definitely very clear that she was giving him the letter from Sally. Obviously, mm-hmm. I must have missed all of it going to him. Right. But that makes a lot more sense. Right. With that said, I may have nitpicked a little bit regarding some musical choices and so forth. Mm-hmm. However, this was fantastic. My only real complaint about this was it should have been longer. Right. 
Um, they could have maybe drug out a little bit more how she figures out that it's the only DVDs that she owns that it's on there. Mm-hmm. We could have gotten a little bit more of the relationship between her and the brother. We could have gotten a little bit more, you know, even though we got just exactly what we needed, we could have gotten a little bit more of maybe um, Kathy back in 1920, maybe a little bit more of Billy in 1969. But at the end of the day, this was fantastic. Best episode of Doctor Who you've had me watch to date. And it literally... I don't read a lot of the message boards, so I don't know. I try to keep myself out of that stuff, the garbage, you know what I mean? Um, but up until that point, definitely, whether you want to say the 50th anniversary, people liked more because it's a multiple Doctor story. But either way, probably this is considered the best Doctor Who story ever made. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, I kind of have to to give you this one. And it's <laughs> it, 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 it literally is. When this hit, it exploded. Like, there are things, like, when the doctor says the angels have the phone box, and the the brother says, he's, like, clicking the pen, he goes, I love that bit. I, I have that on a shirt. Like, the guy who wrote the episode, like, they, they have him on the extras, like, literally going, yes, I wrote that. I, I saw that on shirts, and it blew up. It was on shirts, like, all over the world. And then the other thing, when uh, Shipton is talking, he's like, this police box isn't a normal police box. The windows are too big, and this is off. All shit that the that they got in emails about what was wrong with the TARDIS compared to a real police box. Mm-hmm. Like from fans, they're like, no, real police box windows aren't that big from the era. And and he was just throwing out all this shit in the episode that is like great if you know. And then the way the episode ends is they rerun the the Easter egg and he's like, Don't blink. Blink and you you know, you're dead. And they they show all the statues around like you don't realize how many statues are around you and it makes a common thing dangerous Mm -hmm. and then the last scenes they do a close-up on the doctor's eyes as he's saying he's like he's like that's all i can do like blink and you're dead and then it's just a slow the last thing he does is blink like the ending of that episode is is just absolutely perfect like the i i get goosebumps every time i i i think about that episode i'm really glad you enjoyed it this is your, uh, this is my 1992 Royal Rumble. Cool. Um, I'm glad. It's that good. I would watch this again if I had more time in my day. Right. That's how and- good of an episode this is. And they do, it's, and that's the other thing. This episode is super heavy on the time travel bullshit, mm-hmm. but it's so self-contained and it's so, um, they don't, do like a lot because a lot. I think a lot of times what happens with um, time traveling. I made the joke that it kind of cribs from Back to the Future too, mm-hmm. but it does and it doesn't. Remember in the second Austin Powers movie where right. they do the time travel thing, right? And um, like whoever like Austin Powers Q in the movie is right. So mm-hmm. Austin Powers is like, oh, time travel, baby. How does all this work? You know, do I have to worry about whatever, whatever? And as he's getting into the car. Uh, the, the Q guy says, you know what? It's best just not to think about it and let's just go ahead and do it. And then looks up and looks directly into the camera and kind of says, and you at home as well. Right. They don't do that. But it comes damn close. It, I don't want to say that it comes damn close, but it does that in the closest way without doing that. 
everything mm-hmm. you know need to know about how time travel works in this world is condensed in this episode. It's not done in a complicated way. It's not done in a way that beats you over the head. They don't spend tons of time over explaining it to make it more confusing. It's just mm-hmm. like this is you're you're watching Doctor Who. You know time travel is going to be involved. There's going to be a bunch of shit with time travel. We're going to explain it and move on. Mm-hmm. Keep up. But we're not doing it in a way that's going to be overly complicated. Right. Right. And I just wanted to explain really quick. This is called a Dr. Light episode at the time because there's not a lot of doctor in it. Um, and at this time, like, you know, the show wasn't, was becoming big. This was the height of the storytelling as you, as you apparently saw in this episode. And it, but to save on money, they would shoot. Like during the season, there was uh, 12 or 13 episodes. They would shoot two episodes at the same time with two different um, uh, film crews. And one would be the Dr. Light episode. And he would film that stuff real quick because you didn't need much for him in that. You know what I mean? And that was their way of saving money was like we just do, do like a smaller crew real quick on on set because really they're only at the house, the police station. You know what I mean? They didn't have to do like a big effects-laden budget or whatever. And they, they they did that. And through like for a couple of seasons until it became really big, they would do that. And then they would have like a, uh, like a doctor episode where the light episode would be uh, mostly the companion. You know what I mean? And the doctor would go off and do his own adventure and they would film those at the same time. Kind of like when we get to midnight next, you know how like the, the companion is only in the beginning and the end mm-hmm. because at the same time they were doing a, a doctor light episode that was all the companion with just hints of the doctor. And that was how to just save money. You didn't have 13 weeks of shooting. You only had 12 weeks, gotcha. which I've always found fascinating. Mm-hmm. The economy of storytelling that those uh, BBCers do. Right, not those ITVers. Right. But anyway. So moving along to midnight. Right. Okay. So, as Todd mentions, the Doctor's going to go on a little journey. Oh, and this is the other thing that I want to mention. The reason that I knew that this was from different seasons, mm-hmm. uh, this episode had a much different, terrible Doctor Who theme at the beginning. Maybe the worst Doctor Who theme of them all. I forget because they do change them over the course right. of the season. Not every season, but for each Doctor it'll change. And then maybe if you have a longer like run, it'll change in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to sit back and I don't have it memorized what seasons were what songs. You know what I mean? Blink but. has like almost more of a classic theme. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with this theme, but this kind of set the tone for me on this episode. Oh, damn. Okay. Swing, a home run, then a swing and a miss. Because. Right, right. Um, I was going to say, for, uh, after I was done watching them and I, you know, I posted the picture online and everything that I, I watched the two things, you know, uh, my friend James sends me a message and he's actually like a legitimate real Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sends me a message uh, that says, Blink is a modern classic, Midnight is a bunch of horse shit. Oh, boy. Now, this is after I'd already watched it. He knows not to attempt to skew my uh, idea of these things. Right. Beforehand. Um, but I do have to say, um, Midnight was not the best episode, mm-hmm. but definitely not the worst that I've seen. 
Right. Um, as much as I loved the, the seventh doctor one that has Eric Roberts in it, I or love that doctor. eighth doctor. I love that one because it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this one is terrible, but I don't like it. Um, the doctor is going to go off on a little thing to the sapphire planet to see these waterfalls. The companion doesn't want to go with him. And he goes, oh, we're just going to go do this little thing. What's the worst that could happen? And it's like, wink. And then the terrible theme kicks in. Mm-hmm. So they go into, they go onto the train or the plane or the shitty set that looks like it was left over from the 60s TV show. Mm-hmm. It looks like they found a bunch of first class seats that fell off an old plane, and they're just like, "Yeah, build something kind of, sort of around it, and we'll just do an episode just in this. Uh, that'll be it, right?" Mm-hmm. So they're going off to the the Sapphire Planet thing to see these waterfalls, and they've decided that they're taking a different course, a, a different course than they normally take, right? Right, there was an avalanche or something, and they had to go a different way. Right, so the doctor just, like, barges into the front compartment where there's the driver, Driver Tim, and the assistant engineer. Right. And the assistant engineer keeps thinking that he sees something off in the distance, something that shouldn't be there, because nothing can survive on this planet, Um, you know, a whole bunch of bullshit as to why it can't survive. Now, there's a bunch of people on this plane or train or shitty set on some sort of BBC back lot that they're in. Um, you've got Win- uh, Winifold Hobbs and Dee Dee. You've got- Which, by the way, Go ahead. real quick, that is the actual second Doctor's son. Oh. In real life, that's his son. Okay. So. Go uh, ahead, sorry. You've got the uh, older lesbian lady, and I'd say older, <laughs> you know, age-appropriate lesbian lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Brian O'Halloran and his wife. And you've got their 40-year-old emo son. Right. So the doctor's, you know, making his rounds. We're getting to know these people, why they're taking this trip, what they're there for, and so forth. And then he learns from the woman, the older woman who's by herself, and again, older, age-appropriate, that she had just broke up with her significant other. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on, something, the, 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 train get, the train stops. The set stops moving or shaking from the outside. Mm-hmm. So it turns out the front car that was driving it got completely torn off. Right. And those two people are now dead. They're gone. So whatever's out there got them. They're done for. So then they keep reiterating. There's, you know, or they, they hit the button. There's people on their way to save them. Um, But they have an hour, right? So mm-hmm. things are shaking. Things are knocking. They think it's nothing. The stewardess lady is like, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. We'll be fine. Help will be here shortly. So then they knock, and then it knocks the same number of times back, and all this bullshit like that. And then all of a sudden it's on top of it, and then somehow it gets inside, and the lights go off, and a chair gets overturned. Now, this is the part of the episode where I'm out, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm hanging with you so far. So... The age-appropriate lesbian woman, she gets inhabited by whatever this creature is. Right. How do we know? She has a little bit more eyeliner on now. (laughs) That's how we know she's a different person. And they, all the people in this plane or train or shitty bullshit set, are, like, reacting like, Oh my goodness, 
she was blue before and now she's pink. Oh my goodness, she's a completely different thing that we're looking at. And I'm like, are we all supposed to be suspending the same disbelief? Did I not get the notes that we're supposed to believe that just because she has a little extra eyeliner on, that she's now possessed by the devil or whatever this thing is on the outside? So it's learning as it's repeating what everybody's saying. It's causing people to start having dissension. You're trapped in the box. This is the living embodiment of, you know, the sort of fear and hatred that could bubble up inside of people and they all want to kill it. The doctor wants to save it because it's a new form of life. He's fascinated by it. Now they think that he's in league with the thing. I didn't like this episode. Okay. I'm trying to hang with it. I didn't like this episode. My bad. I should have gave you a different one then. No, listen. You um, liked it. You know what I mean? Listen. They all can't be winners. Right. Um, But at first, and like I said, when I watched it, I'm like, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something I'm missing. But when mm-hmm. my buddy James sent me that message that the, that episode was a piece of garbage, I'm like, all right, I don't feel so bad now. All right, we'll kind of we'll kind of, we won't harp on it too much then. Um, but my thing on it was I do like like early on it's it's ridiculous in the cliches of like a travel group going somewhere like because the doctor shuts down all the crappy shit, the bells and whistles they have to distract you, and he's like, let's let's talk. He's like, let's get to know each other, kind of a thing is what he was trying to do, and I like that because that's very doctory. And then everyone's doing their awkward bit, and it it all it all falls apart. And what I like about it is the kind of the repeating thing. That's my favorite, like the eerie part of it. Granted, you know, we jump there, like you say, with the eyeliner, I'm all in because I'm a doctor who fan, whatever. But as it goes and she starts repeating and then it catches up and then she's only doing what the doctor says. And then she goes ahead and starts you know, paralyzing him and he's doing what she was doing and they're going to kill like how quickly like it can turn and they're going to throw him out. And then the, the stewardess helps him and sacrifices herself. And in the end, he's like the ride back. Everybody is just sitting in silence because he's like, yeah, we, we almost murdered him and she did it. And he's like, what was the stewardess name? And like, you, you all were like this. We don't even know her. And she saved us. And, I just kind of like that. But my favorite part is really the ending is when he gets back and he's with Donna, the companion, and he's talking and he just goes like this and he's like Montebello or whatever he says. And she says it back to him and he's just like, don't, don't eat, like, no. Like, now that's like, just like blows my brain up. I don't know. I like the, the, the way the, 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 the episode. The, yeah. The, the, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, the threat on it wasn't real to me. Okay. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I, I felt like no one was in peril, and it was a little too cliched for me. Like, everyone kind of acted exactly as they would. Like, if this this could have been a plot for an episode of the 60 Star Trek show, or without the kind of futuristic supernatural elements, this could have been the plot for an episode of Family Matters. A group, right. of, a group of disparate people are trapped in a something, something goes wrong, we have to wait for X, and while X is going on, we all start turning on each other. Right. 
I think if I didn't watch it right after what is arguably the best episode of Doctor Who in the history of Doctor Who, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been holding it to such lofty standards. I now know what I should have gave you and I was going to give you. But I'm also trying to give you stuff that's standalone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I could have gave you so much, but then you'd be like, oh, well, and this reveal happens. I'm like, you need to have watched the whole season. Do you know what I mean? Well, aren't there, there, is a aren't there any, like, two or three? Like, you had given me a bunch before that were, like, two or three or four episode gimmicks, right? Right. There were. There were. There, there, the second, like, considered the second best of the ten was the beginning of, of River Song, which a lot of people were like, give to Joe. And it's basically his love interest that she shows up and she's like, hey, I'm here to talk to you. And he's like, I don't recognize you. She's like, I don't know what happened. I'm here before. And you find out that their whole relationship, and I know you would have hated this, was is told out of order. It's the first time he meets her is the last time she's with him. She ends up dying. And then as their relationship goes on through the 10th, 11th and 12th doctor it's going the other way so the 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 last time the doctor sees her it's 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 very confusing and i'm like i can't give him that i should have gave you the waters of mars that's that's a really great standalone episode but we we, we win some we lose some you know what though todd you on this one you average like a seven and a half i'll take it you know what i mean out of the two together Right. I, I know, it's just... Don't beat yourself up over it. Like I said, it's no big deal. Because mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed that first episode so much, you could have given me anything else after that, and it would just wouldn't have been able to stand up to the scrutiny, if you will. Right. Right. Fair enough. Ooh, I'm tired now. We're done, right? Yeah, alright everybody. Thanks for listening to Gallifrey Birds, Roman numeral 10. Um, yes. No. Right. You have your World Wrestling Entertainment uh, presents Destroy All Monsters sponsors ECW One Night Stand. ECW, ECW, ECW. Right, your oh, your favorite indoor backyard wrestling promotion. That's right. There's those laid back fans I've missed, Joe. <laughs> As this comes out, I'm like, like immediately it starts. What, what was it, in the Hammerstein Ballroom? Hammerstein Ballroom in New York, yes. Which uh, later on I found out was not too far from Madison Square Garden, but we'll get to that. Right. Because I didn't have my, uh, I didn't have my Google Maps up at the time. But, uh, so basically this starts out, um, you know, we get to find out that, uh, Joey Styles comes out, the, uh, anchor of the commentation station. And I will admit, coming out to, you know, talk to, 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 to the fans and everything. He does, he does look legitimately choked up. You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm guessing just really quick that, that was there a one night stand before this? No, no. Um, okay. So, okay. ECW goes out of business March of 2001. Okay. In November of 2004, there was a failed attempt at an ECW revival and it was a miserable mm -hmm. failure. The okay. Wrong people were involved. They didn't have the right amount of money. It was like a litany of problems. So mm -hmm. then, after that happens, RVD himself gets the idea, like, hey, screw these guys trying to do ECW. We have so many ECW guys. Vince, you have all this money. Let's do an ECW thing. Vince is like, mm, I don't think so. But right around that time, 
um, WF had put out a DVD called The Rise and Fall of ECW, which ended up being, like, their best-selling DVD that was a not-WrestleMania of that year. Right. So, based on the ideas already there, we have all these guys already under contract, the DVD did so well, all right, let's do it. Okay. Because I'm going to get to that when we get to the, the RVD section. Okay. Because um, there was a little bit I was a little confused on, but that makes more sense now. But I, I do like the fact that the fans give um, Joey Styles like like mad props. You know what I mean? It is really cool, and you can tell he's he's legitimately uh, taken back by it and looks emotional. Has to like you know collect himself. I don't know how good of an actor Joey is, whether that's real or not. But I'm guessing like from what you told me, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of cool to see. Uh, that, that, you know, like, w- when you could genuinely tell a fan is, is, is giving real respect, if that makes any sense. Not just applauding, not just, you know what I mean? Like, they were like really cool with it, and it was kind of cool to see. And then I found out that his, uh, his commentating partner was going to be Mick Foley, who has the same birth date as I do. Not the same year, but the same birthday, which is really cool to me. So, he came out and he did finger guns, though, and I got a little nervous, Joe. So, but he did that bang bang thing. Right. I was take I was taken back. I was, oof. But anyway, I'll move on. Um. But uh. So the first match is, I'm like, oh, it's that guy from the Un-Americans. The one guy I was calling some some guy, Lance right. Storm apparently. Some who, guy. Some guy who I still look at Lance Storm and go, I see. I don't. I don't know what your thing is. I guess you're just a wrestler. Do you know what I mean? Right. Now he, right, and that was kind of his thing, that he's just a wrestler. Um, anyway, yeah. Right. I, that's, and when I say he's some guy, that's the take I have because, you know, you, like, with wrestling, like, I can get, I get a gist of what, what you are or what your thing is. And with Landstorm, I get, I, I honestly get nothing. Other than he can wrestle, I guess. So he comes out and he's he's with Don Marie apparently, who's in a classic, classy powder blue little number. Who like uh, you know just fantastic. I, I'm a big fan of powder blue, the the color. Um, and he's gonna fight Chris the Lionheart Jericho. Correct. Not the not Y2J. This is Lionheart, who he at this point is a shirtless Han Solo. Yes, because he's he's got the the vest on and he turns around and he had the lion looks like it could be airbrushed on a van. That's that, correct. That, that's what I love. So that's what I'm getting is he's shirtless uh, Han Solo, um, which was kind of cool. Um, so I'm looking over. Um, I'm watching this match. They seem to love arm drags in in the first bit of this match and a lot of flips and a lot of uh, re- reversals, but. I did get into it because I have to admit the fans were were crazy right out of the gate for whatever the, the they were going to feed them. You know what I mean? Like they fed them uh, Lance Storm versus Chris Jericho, and right away the energy is up in the building. So I will admit, even on a match that like no, I'm not too big on. It's just like I don't I know Jericho, but I'm not a Lance Storm guy. Uh, uh, it it was kind of cool. But Lance Storm gets thrown out of the ring, and that's when I found out wherever they were that they made them put mats on the floor, Joe. Right, the, the New York State Athletic Commission makes I them put those mats up. down. Yeah, I was like, how could you be extreme with mats, Joe? 
Oh, I was like, oh, I feel bad, but I guess safety first. I don't want any of my my EC Dub people hurt. But it was kind of cool, like seeing Joey Styles literally like it wasn't us. <laughs> you know what I mean? We le- we are legally obligated. We don't believe in mats here at ECW. Right. We want everyone to be as injured as possible. Pretty much. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Um, I'm looking at this. Uh. Just there's a lot of stuff like like at one point Lance Storm is gonna jump off the the, the top rope and do a backflip and Jericho just kicks him in the back of the head and I'm like oh my god like just <laughs> just like just like why is why isn't his neck snapped on this um uh, then like Jericho gets him in the in the gets him in the walls. But I don't know if they were calling it something different at this time because I noticed that the names were different than what I know a lot of stuff is in, in ECW. Right. But uh, Jason and Justin Credible come Correct. in. And uh, uh, Jericho gets canobbled by a kendo stick and Lance Storm wins in his last match ever. Did he ever wrestle after this again? He did. He wrestled maybe two more times uh, in ECW, or in Ring of Honor, rather, he does still run a successful wrestling school in Canada that a lot of WWE people uh, came from. Because right, I actually kind of respect that, because whenever I hear, this is my last match ever, right. it's usually your 57th from your last match ever. <laughs> yeah, he only had two more, I think, after this. So, um, and they men- I'm sure they mentioned during commentary that Jericho and Landstorm broke into wrestling together. Yes, they were talking about like they they had fought in like here and there and all over the place, which was kind of cool. Which was something I noticed about this show that they that whatever whatever they did, they tried to give you a little like something extra for the match because and I, and I'll I'll kind of get into that a little later. There was no storylines, but they managed to work. Uh, stories about the matches, if that makes any sense. About the people in the match, and yeah. Right, right. So I actually thought that that was kind of cool. Um, so it's at this point that we find out that Raw and SmackDown, so Raw and SmackDown were separate entities at this point again, too, right? Just like they are now, yes. Right, yes. Um, and I know we, that was during the last pay-per-view I watched or something like that. So I, I forget, like, where they merged up and everything. But they had, they bought, a balcony tickets and they were coming to invade ECW and shut it down and all this stuff. And just man wrestling loves their invasions. Don't they? Yes, they do. Did it worked once. So we have to do it a million times, right? That's right. Okay. If it worked once, we could beat it into the ground and do it a thousand times. Now that's the thing though. It hasn't worked. Um, as it's, it's worked less times than it hasn't worked. Right, no, but I mean it worked once, so right. it must work a thousand more times. Yeah. And if it if it doesn't work the say fifty, those are all flukes. The fifty first first time is the charm. Right. Don't worry. So I just found that funny because I always hear invasion this and invasion that. <laughs> but uh then uh it cuts to the pit bull, Gary Wolf, is that his name? Yes. Who has a big collar with heavy chains on, and it's like dangling off there? And I'm like, all right, I'm all in. This is a wacky guy with a big thing. And then it's like, let's remember all the fallen members of ECW. And I'm like, oh, I can't make fun of this, <laughs> but let's see if I can, Joe. All right. So we go through the mem- the, the memoriam, and we have uh, 
we have Rocco Rock, who apparently was going to dance my ass off. Okay. I, that's what they said. Right, we're going to dance your ass off. And I'm like, okay. So he passed away at 49 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get Tracy Gordy. He Terry was, Gordy. Oh, Terry Gordy. I'm sorry. I, I have it wrote wrong. I have a little, like, curl on the T, so it looks like Jerry. Um, Terry Gordy at 39 years old. Mike Lockwood. Was he Crash? Yes. Oh, because I used to love Crash. He died at 32 years old. The original fake Sheik. How dare you? Because the Iron Sheik's the only real Sheik to me, baby. He He's the one that throws off the numbers, Joe, at 77 years old. Well, I'll say this. He only had, like, one ECW appearance. That's what I was going to say, because he has something to do. He's, like, Sabu's uncle or grandfather or Correct. something. Correct. Uncle. Right. Uncle, okay, because I get confused on because I know I I make up relationships between wrestlers, right? So I I get confused. So then we have Mike Lazanski, Lazanski. I don't know. He's thirty five. Uh, Anthony Durant. He's th- he died at thirty six. Big Dick Dudley, thirty four, and Chris Candido at thirty three. That's a lot of young people passing away, Joe. Yeah. Um, what are you insinuating, guessing- Todd? I'm guessing all natural causes, except for the original fake Sheik. He was probably Spectrox at 77. No, I'm guessing just a lot of uh, cocktails made, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay, allegedly. 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 That's the only thing that I took away from that was, wow, a lot of, lot of names. How long was ECW around when it was? 19, like, when it was officially ECW Eastern Championship Wrestling. Uh, Let's just say the first pay-per-view. What was the, fir- uh, what was the first pay-per-view well, called? Like, they, Unrage, they, 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 were running, they were running shows and, like, were an influencer in the world of wrestling since, like, 1993. They didn't run their first pay-per-view until 1997, and then they went out of business in 2001. Right. So eight right. years, essentially. Okay. Eight years. Well, that's a lot of, you know... A lot of young guys in eight years to to lose. That's all I'm going to say. I won't harp on it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll move on to the ma- next match, which was uh, Tajiri, who I remember from uh, WWE for a little bit. He was in WWE during the Attitude Era, right? Uh, yeah, he was with uh, Regal. Okay, yes. And I do have to admit, the Japanese Buzzsaw is a great nickname. Mm-hmm. But he comes out with Sinister Minister, who... He might have the best suit of the show, the 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 demonic red with the black. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's the suit I want to get for weddings, by the way. And uh, he came out with Mikey Shipwreck. <laughs> I'll let that and, one go. And he's fighting, uh, well, Tajiri's going to be in the, in the international three-way dance, which, by the way, why Joey Styles is the anchor of the commentation station is he, before the match even starts, he explains to me what an international three-way dance is. It's, you know, all three go in the ring. When one's eliminated, it becomes a one-on-one match. And I'm like, thank you, Joey Styles. Like, is it that hard with some of you goddamn commentators to do this? Like, like, and I, I'm not getting hot and just trying to tweak you with Joey yeah. Styles. But I watch a lot of this, and it's like, hey, it's a lumberjack, you know, a jockstrap match. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what does it mean? And you'll get, like, halfway through the match, and somebody will be like, yeah, he has to rip his jockstrap off and beat him with an axe handle before he can win the match. And I'm like, I would have liked to known that before it starts. Mm-hmm. 
And I give, I, and I honestly, as much as, you know, I tweak Joey Styles, whenever I watch it, he gives me a lot of names of moves. Right. And explains what's going to, like, what the stipulations or the rules are. And, and I like that. So, and you um, know, we have fun at Joey Styles' expense and have had fun at Joey Styles' expense for the better part of the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that stuff that you're talking about that Joey Styles does, that's what I try to do on commentary. Which, uh, in my mind, whether this is someone's first wrestling match or their one millionth wrestling match, I'm going to explain to you what this match is supposed to be. Fair enough. Right. But in my defense, I'm not attacking you. I've honestly never heard you commentate a match. Oh, boy. Because anything that I've seen, I was at, and you're not over the PA system. You know what I mean? That's true. I am not. You're... You're like on the you're you're on the DVDs or the streaming or or whatever it is. So I never really get to see any of that. So maybe one of these days I'll actually have to sit down and listen to one of your fine fine commentated matches. If um, I can get you um the the version of uh, Ultramantis Black versus Orange Cassidy from this past weekend mm-hmm. at uh, Powerbomb.tv presents Futures. I think that's a good example of what my talents can bring to a professional <laughs> wrestling uh, match. Okay, and like I said, I have no idea, so I'm not even trying to right. trying to bring you down. Um, so it's Tajiri with those with those people uh, helping him out versus little little Guido, who's who's uh, Nunzio is his real name. Yes, because this is where it got real shaky, where they were just coming out like a bunch of people and they weren't putting the graphics up and it was really loud. The sound on this wasn't that great. So it was like uh, Little Guido with Big Guido. Right. One of the Smothers brothers. Tracy Smothers, yes. Yes. From, Tony Na- from Nashville, Italy. What? From Nashville, Italy. Right. Well, I think uh, uh, Joey Styles says something and he's like, uh, Tony Mama Luke and the Italian Stallion. And he's like, well, so and so's like Italian, and so and so's Italian, and but those other three couldn't find Italy on a map, on a globe or whatever. And one of them, I think it was the, the one you're saying, was from Nashville. Was like, he asked me the other day if innuendo was was the Italian word for suppository. And I was like, all right, that's funny. I, I dig that. Um, so it was Little Guido versus Tajiri. And now here's the guy, super crazy, comes out, and he's all alone. I'm like, where's your five guys? Right. There's no five guys. So I'm like, immediately in my head, I'm like, there's no way super crazy can win because there's going to be a thousand bits of interference with all these other other wacky guys. Uh, so I just I just thought that was like going to be stupid. But uh, I have to admit, watching this match, super crazy is everywhere at once somehow. I don't know how, right. but I'm watching, like, it's Nunzio or Little Guido versus um, uh, Tajiri, and you're like, all of a sudden, you just see Super Grace, bing, bing, bang, all over the ring, um, then takes it outside, and f- for some reason, decides to climb up, like, you know, I don't know, three balconies, Super Crazy, and does a Lunar Pepper off the top of the balcony, and takes out the entire FBI, which, as at that point, I found out for what was FBI stood for, the... Full-blooded Italians. Full-blooded Italians, which I thought was funny. I thought they were actually some kind of FBI gimmick. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Um, right. So the, the, he takes them out, um, and it goes back into the ring. And then that's when T- Tajiri does his green mist. Right. Um, 
and chaos ensues because people are running around, jumping in and out of the ring. Um, green mist does what? It blinds you temporarily? It blinds you. That's correct. Right now, is is the green mist like a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons? It, it, you could uh, uh, a dragon could only use its breath weapon three times a day. Is he limited to once a match or well, once a show? There was a time in the late it was early to mid, uh, late eighties, early nineties, where um, Asian people were the ones that could do this by massaging right. a gland in their throat. <laughs> Oh boy. So obviously depending on how good how well trained you were at doing that. And then once it got right. to the late nineties, early two thousands, everyone just kinda gave up and it was a free for all on on poison mist. <laughs> okay. So there was there's no hard and fast rule. There used to be, but that was back when wrestling was real, man. Oh my god, but uh so basically, Tajiri eliminates Little Guido. So now it's Tajiri versus Super Crazy, and this is a match that I thoroughly enjoyed because it was lucha esque, mm-hmm. but not completely lucha. Right. And, and if that makes any sense, it's an I don't want to say an Americanized version of lucha because I'm talking out of my ass here on what I know. But it was interesting in the move, like the flips, and it's it's not completely flip flippy flop wrestling as JBL would say, but it's it's intense, fast moves that I think are very very cool. If if uh that 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 kind of thing, if that's the best way to say it. So like to to break this match down, I can't because it happened so fast. But um, I it. It immediately like piqued my interest, and I liked the fact that uh, a super crazy to beat Tajiri. He does uh, his lunar pepper off the first turnbuckle, then the second, then the third, right. and he's like, and like Joey Styles is like, "There's still one more stop on that elevator. Hit the button, and up he goes." And he does it, and he ends up uh, beating beating him. Uh, super crazy ends up beating, uh, Tajiri, which I was literally, like, kind of shocked at because, like I said, I figured, you know, one guy against 9,000, it wasn't gonna happen, um, that they would find some way. But, uh, I, I really enjoyed that match. It was intense, exciting, and, like, you know, a lot of the fans were going crazy for it. They were doing their, I think this match might have been the first, I forget which one it was where, uh, Joey Styles says, we got our first, uh, religious fecal chant going on. <laughs> Now, I, I, oh, so, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm done. I was gonna say, so, um, Super Crazy and Tajiri, or Super Crazy and Little Guido, Mm -hmm. uh, this match took place that you just watched in 2005. They wrestled each other on an AIW show earlier this year. They attempted to get, uh, Tajiri, but Tajiri was a flight from Japan. And even in 2017, those are expensive. Yes. JetBlue is still expensive from Japan. Right. So these guys can still go, brother. Oh, that is cool. Yes. Um, and so now... Guido will drink anyone under the table. I may have mentioned this before. Uh, it was that same weekend I was going to pick some of the guys up for breakfast. They stayed mm-hmm. at the... Uh, uh, listen, the word rape gets thrown around, around very liberally, mm-hmm. but they stayed at the rape motel. I stayed at a good hotel up the road. So I went to go get the rest of my car mates for breakfast. Guido mm-hmm. was leaving the hotel, or leaving the motel, to go to the bar across the street to start drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. I'm willing to take that challenge, little Guido, anytime, anywhere. I have seen him put away some of the heaviest 
drinking plus people. I'm not going to name anybody, and I'm not oh. going to say what the plus is, but if you want to ask off off uh, mic, I'll tell you. Okay, let me write that down. Yeah. Uh, little Guido, who we outdrank. Um, so now drinking we hit... Plus. What? Drinking plus. Little Guido drinking plus. There you go. Uh, so now we hit one of those fancy schmancy, the history of ECW promos that we're going to get a few throughout. You know what I mean? And um, it's at this point that I understand what ECW is. Yes. Because it is wrestling for attention def- deficit syndrome criminals. That's what ECW is for. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. Right, because it's just like, hey, here's ECW, we're extreme, here's scenes from the history of ECW, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? What, what am I watching? And I'm like, and, and of like 13 things that they've shown, I'm just gonna hit a few of them, and you might understand what there were. There were, they hung a guy from his ankle from a balcony. That was Rocco Rock who got hung up by Terry Funk, yes. Um, okay. So then there was another one where tons of chairs just come flying into the rings from the fan. And I, when I say a ton of chairs, Joe, I don't mean four, five, I mean 30, 40, 50 chairs, and they just keep coming. And I feel bad for whoever's under those goddamn chairs. It was Terry Funk inspiring that, and it was, uh, the aforementioned public enemy, uh, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge who were underneath that. Yes. Okay. Now we're back to Terry Funk. Terry Funk branded Cactus Jack. Right, with a flaming branding branding iron, sure. Did he actually brand him? Like, does he have a mark on him that's no. like a shape? Okay. Uh, Cactus had, like, uh, to sell an injury, his ribs were taped up. Okay. Right, and I'm sure there was some sort of padding or some such in there to protect it. Kayfabe, everybody. I don't know. I'm right. asking. It could be. Right. You know what I mean? And then finally, I guess there was a C- Oh, well, in there, they have a bit of... Uh, uh, Polly Heyman, like you yes. know, obviously you're gonna have Paul Heyman. Where's he at the show? He better show up. That's all I'm saying, Joe. Oh, so I hope he, I hope he didn't miss the train from, you know, his parents' basement or wherever he lives. I don't know. That's right. So, and then finally, um, apparently a million fans in the ECW ring as it collapses, which has to be an OSHA violation. It did happen in Florida, and there's very few rules and laws in Florida. So you're saying you don't need mats in Florida? Well, no, it was just, you know, a, a wrestling ring is, you know, this was, that was 1995. I don't think wrestling rings are the same steel construction that they are now. I've seen many wrestling rings that are just made of wood, where it's like made like one or two guys that built it from scratch, as opposed With tires to... tires underneath. Right, as opposed to these things that now are like these interlocking metal beams and so forth. And it was just the sheer number of the people inside the ring caused it to collapse. Shit happens, man. Mm-hmm. So that that I just like that was the first promo. So I just found that interesting. Like just you know, I gotta throw questions. I see things, I don't know what the hell this right. is. But it's it's extreme. So the the next match is psychosis. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. There was a weird way they pronounced it. Psychosis. Uh, so it is psychosis. There was a tweak on the on the ways, but he came out and he took his mask off to show great respect to the fans. Yes. That's another one of those things where lucha stuff that I just I don't understand. Right. I, I don't he, know. He had previously lost his mask and had been wrestling unmasked. 
Okay. But um, everyone knew him as the mask psychosis from his time in ECW. So he came out, here's the familiar look that you know from 1995, now here I am today, sort of thing. Right. And now Rey Mysterio comes out, and they were announcing that he dropped the junior because great respect, once again, his father gave him the rights to to use Rey Mysterio without the junior. Um, was he Rey Mysterio Jr. again after that at some point, or was he always Rey Myster- just Rey Mysterio? When he got when he left WCW and went to WWF, he was no longer Rey Mysterio Jr. He's just been Rey Mysterio because Vince is like, God damn, we can't have someone named Junior. Uh, isn't it Vince? Ju- isn't he Vince Jr.? Well, okay, he's not because his dad is like Vincent William McMahon, and he's Vincent Kennedy McMahon. But all uh, the old timers call Vince our Vince Jr. to get under his skin, and a lot of people insinuate that that's the reason why Vince hates anyone named Jr. because that's what the people call him. That doesn't sound like him. Right. Doesn't he's thick skin, Joe? <laughs> a gentle ribbing would never set off Vincent K. McMahon. Ugh. But, uh, so basically this, this is a match. Uh, the one thing that I really did notice was, uh, that Psychosis got thrown out of the ring into the crowd, but luckily a hot blonde broke his fall. There you go. And, uh, for the record, it wasn't me that was the hot blonde that broke his fall. <laughs> but, uh, so basically just the match. The only thing I really come away with is I'm always a big fan of the 619. I kind of like that move. Yep. And Rey Mysterio hits him with, and once again, because, you know, Joey Styles is the best, he, he wins with the West Coast pump. West Coast pop. What pop? I thought it was pump. You know, like I said, hard to, right. hard to hear. But, uh, Rey Mysterio wins. Like I said, I would, I liked all the matches. If I don't go into them, they were an okay match, but I st- if I'll only mention if I hated something, you know what I mean? Sure. But it's at this point Kurt I, Kurt Angle comes walking in, Joe. All right, business is picking up. You know I'm a Kurt Angle mark. So, he comes in and Bradshaw's behind him and I absolutely love. It's just the the heel-esque thing of walking in and flicking the, their ticket with their finger to all the fans like I have a ticket. I have a ticket. You can't stop me, ECW fans. We have tickets. We have a balcony. What are you looking at? You can't do nothing. We're here. And I'm like, I'm like, just, just like, I'm like, already, I'm like, I get you're the bad guys by just maniacally, like, showing your tickets. (laughs) All right. That's just fantastic. And they had the guts, Joe. They People were wondering if they had the guts. Did they show up on enemy territory, Todd? Did they say that? it was an invasion, Joe. It was an invasion. Oh. So, uh, and then I don't know if you know, um, the fans started chanting, fuck you, SmackDown. I was taken aback. I was like the filth. Right. The first filth that I had heard on this show. What did you call the fans of ECW as wrestling for what again? E- what? You said before that you figured it out that ECW is for wrestling fans who what? Who have attention deficit syndrome, attention deficit syndrome criminals. Okay, there you go. All right. Uh, am I going to get in trouble for that? Am nope. I going to get? No. Nope. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, while all this is going on, they cut away. Like Joey Styles is like, oh, I'm tired of these guys. Get rid of them. Cut away. Go to anything else. Go to anything else. So they cut to apparently some guy who's called Roadkill. Yes. Whose gimmick is he's an Amish hipster. He's an I ang- don't know. He's the angry Amish 
chicken plucker roadkill. Oh, okay. And while that's going on, um, he's doing an RVD impersonation. Right. And then some guy in a sparkling vest comes over to him. That's Danny and, Doring. Dastardly Danny Doring. Right. We don't get any of that. He's just like, hey, your RVD impersonation is... And then they just cut back to the SmackDown guys. Right. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is bad production or or what, but it made me laugh out loud because I'm like, something happened here. But then... uh uh, then they, I think we do another highlight reel, which is the history of EC, ECW. And, uh, we get sad Scotty Flamingo's girlfriend is Preggers. Right. I was there I, live for that. Were you there for I was in the building, yes. Um, Bubba Ray Dudley trying to say, let's get ready to rumble. Right. That was, uh, when he had the stuttering gimmick, brother. Um, uh, then there was Stone Cold in a wig. Doing like I think he was impersonating Vince. It's like, and I fired him over the phone because that's how I do it in the business. He was actually doing Eric Bischoff. Oh, was he doing Eric Bischoff? It yes. was hard to tell. You know what I mean? Because it just happened really fast. And then here's the big one, Joe. Well, also we have a clip of Polly Heyman, and I'm like, where the fuck is Polly Heyman? They keep teasing you. They keep teasing me. He better show up, Joe. And then some guy, I don't know who did it, flipped somebody over their shoulder and they landed straight on their head, Joe straight on their head. Oh, like I'm, that was did, Chris I, Benoit doing that to Sabu Sabu, right? They, they played in it. slow motion. Oh, slow motion. And a few times I was fucking nauseous. <laughs> I was as nauseous as when I saw, was it Lex Luger's boot full of meat? Uh, Sid vicious. Sid Vicious boot full of meat because like a boot full of meat is nasty. You're like that leg it doing things a leg shouldn't do, but a neck is way more important than a leg, Joe. Oh man. Way more important. And I watched that and I went, you're all crazy. Uh, attention deficit syndrome criminals, all of you. Not just the fans, the people in the ring. Right. And right. Little would you exactly. know that, that your, your beloved Chris Benoit would also be a criminal. Oh, redacted. <laughs> redacted, Joe. Oh. So, at this point, business is picking up. Because who shows up but Joel Gertner, Joe. Right. Joel Gertner. And I'm like, all right, Joel Gertner, you know, if I haven't enjoyed this show now, it is saved, Joe. It is saved. And he comes out and he doesn't even get half of his his spiel out and angle steals his mic. Bradshaw pushes him really hard. I was worried he was going to go like over the balcony mm -hmm. because Bradshaw sometimes doesn't know, you know, it's fake. And he literally kicks his ass, literally kicks his ass and tells him to get out of there. I was like, fuck this shit. Like you do not do that to Joel Gertner. <laughs> this show is ruined. How dare you? You're wasting Joel Gertner. And, I hope that's uh, the only indignity that Joel Gertner suffers on this event. But go ahead. I was, but so this is going on, right? Then you know, just just at this point, I have I, I believe the kids call it nuclear heat. Yes, with 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 the SmackDown people immediately. I'm like, I hate all of you. Um, so 
the chant, the people, once again, the, the attention, attention deficit syndrome criminals are chanting, you suck dick to Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, you know, uh, integrity and on the three eyes and all that. He chants back, it's your mother that taught me how to do it. I'm like, wow, we're in the, like, I'm, I get the ECW gutter, but I found it funny to see, like, the SmackDown guys. Yeah. Doing it, like, because, like, they have to go back to their brand. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and I, I understand, like, this might have been around the end of the Attitude Era, whether it was or not. I don't know. But you're still, like, like I don't know how far Vince was willing to let them go. And it just, it just made me fun. And then uh, JBL gets the mic. And he just <laughs> runs the fans down, talking about how, like, he, a block over. Remember I told you that I, I found out that Madison Square Garden was a block over? Yeah. He's like, ah, block over. I sold out Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania or whatever. He's just going on. He's like, and you ECW shits, you can't even fill a bingo hall. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, way to rile these people up. And just and one of my favorite parts was uh, – uh, where he's just like he's like you little you little fans on your new internet. He literally <laughs> says the new internet, <laughs> and he's like you're in your mother's basement, like emailing is like I'm hardcore, you know, and you email it to your friend, and he's like I'm hardcore too. He's like you kids aren't hardcore. I was dying just over the fact that the internet was new at this point. Right, so, it was 2005. I know. Just like how you know what I mean when you hear somebody say, uh, "You you kids on your new internet," as you may get revealed later, Todd, and I'm sure you'll figure it out. JBL drinks heavily during this event. Does he? No, <laughs> no. And then, okay, Joe, can we get can we get a little deep here now? Yeah, sure. Okay, Bradshaw starts making some points, and he's like, "You know what it is about." about ECW that you guys love is that you fat slobs who aren't athletes, it could be you. Like, this could happen. But you're never going to get to the big dance. It's like, all it is is just tables and blood. And I'm I'm like, oh my god, he's, he's kind of right, though. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, that's what ECW is, is. I'm watching this, and I had found out earlier that I keep saying it, attention deficit syndrome criminals. And I'm like, oh my god, he's 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 running it down, and then like he's just saying like most of you, even the wrestlers aren't going to make it to the big dance, and if you're there, it's just going to be you know for for uh, you know freak show elements of it, and we do this. I'm like he's kind of right, but then or like, and I'm going to go further with this, but RVD comes out and stops him because you know when somebody's running their mouth, somebody else has to come out and, right and shut that shit down, and R RVD comes out with. My boy Alfonso, the Fonz. <laughs> now see, you run these ECW people and the fans down, but you're like, oh, it's Joel Gertner, my favorite. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's Bill Alfonso, my favorite. Todd, at a different day and a different time, you'd be taking that trip to Philly with me every three weeks to be in that building when all this nonsense was going on. But have you noticed, it's not the wrestlers that I like, it's all the weird characters around. Right. Not you. Not your fat, overweight wrestlers that'll never be <laughs> JBL, Joe. Those I'm with JBL on that. I'm Team JBL. Oh my goodness! But no, no, honestly. And Alfonso comes out, who's who's who might be the best loud whistler ever. But then when I think about it, he's doing it 
with he's on WEDs, whistle okay. enhancing devices. Oh my! Oh my goodness! So I still think it's uh, Paige's ex boyfriend is still the best wild, wild whistle. But he comes out and RVD like just starts to like. He's like, I'm going to go shoot on this. And he's going on about how, like, uh, Bradshaw can say, you know, all this stuff and all this bullshit. And he's like, and, and I, we can come out here and I put this show together. I brought it to Vince, which is what you told me. Right. Which was what I was going to ask you about. And he's like, and I, and we could do all this with no storylines and the fans are still getting into it. And I'm, and at that point I noticed, that's when I noticed. I'm like, that's right. There was no lead up to this. And there's no storylines. It's just throwing two wrestlers in the ring, and you're doing the best with what you can, and it's working. So I give the I give him total total credit. And he's like, and we put a show on, and it, you know you want to rip us about not being the, the the big dance and and all that bullshit. He goes, but you know what? If I come here and these people leave happy, then we've done our jobs. And I'm like, holy shit, he's right too. Like everybody can be right. Do you know what I mean? Like, JBL is right that this is it, what it is, and it's not this. He shouldn't look down on it, and I don't know how much he's actually looking down on it and how much is script, but that, but RVD is right, too. He's like, if these people go home happy and they paid for their ticket, then our fucking job is done. And I really like that about RVD. And he's like, and I went up to, to WWE, and do you remember when uh, all my script was cool and whatever? And I vaguely remember that, Joe. Right. When that's really all he said. And he's like, down here I could say whatever the fuck I want and go off script and shoot. And I'm like, I, at this point, I'm not really sure what's real and what's not. <laughs> and there is bad blood, and I don't know how much of it's there. I can tell it's real, but I don't know how much is real. Well, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> so I'm looking over... Uh, uh, and one of those things, he's like, do you remember when Mr. 420 meant I just smoked your ass? Uh, just, I don't know. And then I, 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 RD, all I know is I, they let Fonzie talk for a little while and I, I, his golden pipes, I just lost at how, how great, uh, his, his, like his voice, like his voice is a messed up thing. He's a beautiful orator. He he is, and then RVD was doing a bit of Vince impression, but his Vince impression absolutely sucks. Yours is much. <laughs> Thank you. Yours is the best. Um, there's certain people at the shop who absolutely love your Vince impersonation. <laughs> um, the ladies, let's just say the ladies at the comic shop swoon. Oh, does his Vince impression? Oh goddamn, pal. Yep. So all this is going on, and I don't know how bad RVD's knee was at the time. Like it was bad. He like it, yeah, but he had the the knee brace on, so I don't know if he was playing it off or whatever. But that's when the our, our uh, Rhino comes in and hits RVD with a gore that like you know just crushes him, just like crushes him, starts working the leg, and I'm like, if that knee is bad, like he, he's off there, Rhino, like. I don't know if it's real or not, but he attacked it. He absolutely attacked it. And then that's when the fake Sheik's nephew comes in. How dare you? And uh, somehow it just turns into a match. Right. Which, once again, Joe, no storyline, but we got a match that I'm interested in. Well, this, this, was, this was the ECW way. And even today, um, when mm -hmm. putting together shows that I've been involved with, wrestling shorthand is... 
we're going to ECW it into the next match, which mm-hmm. essentially is, here's a match, that's going to be followed up by a promo, someone else is going to come out, and then that's going to lead to another, quote-unquote, impromptu match. Somebody's going to spill coffee on them, and that's all. it's over. Right, and it's just like, it's one thing just leads seamlessly into the other. And that was okay. kind of like the ECW way, and people are still emulating it and doing that in 2017. Fair enough. So now, all of a sudden, a ref just pops out of nowhere. Right. And like I said, we have a match, which I don't know why we needed another ref, Joe, because we had Alfonso, <laughs> well, and he, he could have called it right down the middle, Joe. He had stopped refing a long time ago. But this was a special, Joe. He could have came back. All right. So I was mad that he didn't call it right down the middle. But uh so fake Iron Sheik's nephew hits Rhino in the head with the chair, like one of those true chair shots. Yep. And I mentioned this on a passing Gallifreyburns. And I watch wrestling occasionally with you, with other people, like modern day. And not and not having seen a chair like a straight on in the face chair shot. I don't mean a glancing blow off the back. I mean a chair shot. And they make me squeamish now. Like seeing like a solid one. Yeah. And it's just, it's nastier. It's, it's nastier than like, than I remember. Like I remember when I used to cheer those on. Now I think, uh, CTE, like head trauma. Well, we were only, uh, with this event, we were only about a year. It's only been about a year at this point that we knew that concussions might be a thing. Mm hmm. We still, it was, the, the jury was still out, Todd. We're okay. looking into it. No we'll problem. get back to you. <laughs> we'll, yeah, hopefully they'll get to that. Right. But, uh, so now, watching this match, do you know what I figured out, Joe? <laughs> what, Todd? <laughs> that the, uh, fake Iron Cheeks nephew is fucking nuts. Right. He's doing things like leaping off chair, like, and I understand. I've seen some high flying stuff in, like, you know, with Matt Hardy and that kind of sh- like, you know, the, uh, sure. No, this is toe drops face first on the chairs. I'm like, holy sh! Like, just, just crazy. And at that point, they're talking about how crazy he actually is, and that he did a match with a gash in his arm that needed a hundred stitches. And another time Mick Foley was like, yeah, I wrestled him. And he was literally impaled on a guardrail, but we kept going with the match. And I'm like looking at him with all those like marks on his body and everything. I'm like, Oh yeah, all that shit happened. This isn't, this isn't let's, you know, add a few inches to a wrestler's height to make him seem taller. Right. I'm like, no, this guy burned, ripped, tore, shredded his body. Sabu is still active today. Barely, but still active today. It's, does he act like the Iron Sheik when he comes down to the ring? No, he still tries for all this shit, man. So this is all going on between Rhino and 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 him. And RVD comes out in the dead leg and helps. And basically, Sabu finishes off Rhino by basically jumping on the back of his head through a table, right? With with a chair on top of it. I guess it's called the Arabian Skull Crusher. Thank you, Joey Styles. Um, <laughs> Just, and I'm like, my God, like, like, once again, my, my brain's going to like, you know, like concussions and, but just, just funny. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this is, and the fans eating it up, Joe. I don't know. They're, I think RVD was right. I think they're going to send these people home happy, Joe. (laughs) I think this, unless they, they don't stick the landing at the end of this pay-per-view and I I don't want to jump ahead. Right. I don't want to jump ahead. 
if if they don't really mess up the ending, I think this could be one of those pay per views people will remember. And I'll uh, right now I'll say this: everyone gives WWF shit today because they'll come right out and say we're not about wrestling, we're about entertainment, we're about putting smiles on people's faces. ECW mm-hmm. was the original promotion that was about putting smiles on people's faces. They just didn't say it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we hit Al Snow and Head. I miss Head, Joe. Mm-hmm. I love Head. I'm just going to say. I'm a proponent of Head. I got no problem with Head. Al Snow's a piece of shit, and I hope he dies. Oh, okay. I was just trying to do some cheap Head jokes. I'm okay. sorry. Sorry. Okay. You know what I was doing, right? I do. So, uh, it was the joke and the rib of what Head was supposed to be. Right. Gotcha. So now we hit another promo, like one of those extreme promos. Right. And basically one of them is just a thousand heads flying in the rain. Yep. Um, Someone super kicked Santa. Stevie Richards, maybe? I don't know. I, I don't know. Mm. It was just... Uh, uh, a quick shot of Polly Hammond. When the fuck is he going to show up, Joe? Relax. Um, and someone fell off a suspended platform through about a thousand tables. And that was Tommy Dreamer. Okay. So now Raw's people show up. And, <laughs> Joe, you know what they're doing? They're flicking their tickets oh, again, Joe. God they're damn a bunch it. of tick bunch of ticket flickers, Joe. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. And Bischoff is walking, you know, up there. They have the... They have security there. I don't know why. I think they could have made it on their own. They I knew where their seats were. Next time that I went. go to an independent wrestling show and I buy a ticket, I'm going to demand to have an armed escort me to my seat. <laughs> me too. Anytime I go to to Powerbomb TV something, I'm gonna I'm gonna demand. Um, but so somebody just spits beer in Bischoff's face. I was like, holy shit! Just like, just, just like the like, like Tajiri Green mists him, like right in the face. Todd, what did you call these fans again? Um, attention deficit syndrome criminals. Okay, all right. <laughs> so they get I like up how to you're the... surprised by their behavior when you've surmised what these fans are. <laughs> surprised, wink. I assumed um... it would have been a martini. This classy crowd. <laughs> Some Cavassier. Right. So, so Edge gets up there and they start, they start chanting wife stealer. I don't, I don't get it, Joe. (laughs) Joe, like, I don't remember him stealing any wives on the way up to the balcony. Right. But, uh, and they just start, they just, they just, you know, they're, so the only two, like, of, like, of all this, which makes me realize is, so, Bischoff's their edge. They show Christian a little bit, but they don't show him much. Um, so Bischoff, Edge, Christian, and Coach. I recognize Coach from, uh, he was the announcer and he's on ESPN now. Right. But anybody else who was with SmackDown or, or, uh, Raw, Raw I didn't recognize. You I know think, what I mean? I think Regal might have been in there. They said Regal yeah. when he was going up the steps early on, but I couldn't find him. Because, like, a lot, obviously they're going up single file, being pushed, being shoved. You know what I mean? Right. And then there was no real camera on Regal. So, but was uh, the important question, if Regal was there, was uh, British Mr. Fuji there? No. Oh. So now um, we get to the next match, which is Redacted versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, I prefer Latino Heat. 
Um, but I know he wasn't at, at ECW. I just like when, the way he always did Latino heat, you know, just giving it the, the shoulder roll. You know? Yeah, this was kind of super serious Eddie Guerrero for the ECW sort of thing. And, I get it. Yeah, and sadly, Eddie would pass about five months after this event. Right, so I'm not, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and at this, at this point, Joey Styles throws out something interesting. He's like, these are two of the best pro wrestlers out there. And I'm not saying sports entertainers. I don't care if that gets me fired or not. Oh, boy. I was like, oh, boy. like oh, Joey okay. Styles taking chances and saying things that he's not supposed to say, huh? I, luckily, I wor- <laughs> luckily, he got that out of his system. That's right. You ain't. He's never gonna have that happen. So, but uh, so at this point, this is where I found out uh, Eddie Guerrero bet, beat Lesnar for the belt in the WWE. That's correct. Maybe Ooh. with a little help from Goldberg. Just it's just weird to think that in the little bit of wrestling I watched recently, where they just had Lesnar on a tear, and that's what's currently in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the career, just ending, you know, careers and, and just going through people like tissue paper. And it's like, oh, Latino Heat beat him. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? But, uh, so basically, the only thing I really have to ask, and you always ask me every time we go, what do I think of when I see Redacted come out to the ring? Right. And I always go, I'm not heavily invested in wrestling, so I know what he did, but it doesn't really bother me. But, this time, Joe, he did two things that kind of just made me feel a bit squeezy that I haven't seen him do when you showed me the last couple of shows. Okay. Um, the throat slash maneuver. Right. With his thumb. I was kind of like, oh, and then they're like, oh, my God, he hasn't done this in so long because of his neck injury. It's the Chris Benoit suicide headbutt. And I'm like, ooh, not a good name for his finishing move. Right. Like, like, and I get it, and I'm not trying to be even facetious. You always ask me, this is the first time I looked at Crispin, or Redacted, and went, eh. like, that kind of stuff, that really calls attention to what he did, if that makes any sense. Yes. Okay, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm actually not trying to, but, uh, basically, uh, Redacted beats, uh, Eddie Guerrero with the crossface crippler, and as I always said about Redacted, and I will always say about Redacted, he could hit that crossface crippler driving down the street, just jumping out of a car on somebody, and he would get the cross. If he was eating ice cream or you were eating ice cream, just bam, all of a sudden you're in a crippler. From anywhere, standing, sitting, laying down, he could hit that. Um, that's all I, that's all I got for that. We'll move on. Um, so now we get to Joel Gertner part two, Joe. Um, and I'm like, you better let him fucking talk this time. So he comes out and he sees Eric Bischoff and he's going to interview Eric Bischoff. And he's like, the question everybody wants to know, the question I, I have to ask is, can you give me a job, please? Can you give me a job? I'll take anything. <laughs> just, just give me. And I actually thought that was funny. And, you know, basically, uh, Bischoff, you know, just basically, you know, uh, just gets rid of him, throws his drink in his face. Um, that would be, spoiler alert, the last of Joe Gertner for the show. I enjoyed it. I was I I was literally sad that he was not used more, if that makes any sense. Right. I, I was I because I'm a big Joe Gertner fan. Um from the two times that I've seen him, biggest Joe Gertner fan in the biz. And I was like, oh okay, I I, I do feel in this thing he was wasted, but you did have a lot going on. So, uh, Bischoff, you know, now he has the mic, 
Uh, and he's just a lot of more with the us versus them. I don't want to go into it. You know, like I was talking about with JBL. Um, so I, I just found it interesting, which in the end made me think I'm going to get deep again is everything that they were saying sounds like a message board at the time of this event. Right. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like literally if I had read the message boards in 2006, I feel like the SmackDown Raw people and RVD and all of them, this is what I would have been reading. Am I pretty close? You're not too far off. Okay. So now the next match is Mike Awesome. Apparently he was that 70s guy for a while. He he was that 70s guy. He was also the fat chick thriller. I heard somebody say that and I did and and Mick ended up laughing really or Mick might have mentioned it and Joey Styles ended up laughing real really loud. So he he fought Masato Tanaka. Did I get that yes, right? Yes, you did. Oh my goodness, yeah. I wrote it phonetically, Joe. Oh, there you go. I learned after 10 Gallifreybirds. But, uh, so, I'm just gonna say, there might have been a little heat from Joey Styles to Mike Awesome. Right. During the whole match, he seemed to have things to say about, uh, Mike Awesome. That he left, uh, breach of contract, taking money, if he was gonna destroy the belt, but he would have got sued. I don't know. Once again, don't know what was real, don't know what was fake, but there was definitely some bad blood there. Correct, that's true. This is this is a true statement. The long and the short of it is, uh, Mike Awesome was the ECW champion at the time, and he took a very large uh, money contract offer from uh, WCW to leave ECW, and in one of the many, many, many times that ECW sued WCW and won, this was just one of many. But this was during a time, like, it was 2000, WWF was, like, crushing everybody, both WCW and ECW were less than a year away from being completely out of business, and, you know, to... And, you know, Joey was a company man, and Mike Awesome taking the big money position. He was going to leave without dropping the title uh, in a Bret Hart sort of fashion. And there you go. Fair enough. So, it, to me, this was a good match. This was a really good match. But that was the most interesting thing about it, because I was trying to figure out the storyline of that match. You know what I mean? Right. Like, as I'm going on, I'm like, oh, like, I, I'm getting pieces of it. And what you said, it kind of... It, 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 it kind of made sense. But then I like what Styles was saying is like at this time, one of them, I forget who even it was. He was like one of the wrestlers was had a match on TNN where they were at the time. And Styles is like, or the deliverance channel or whatever the hell they were calling it at the time. <laughs> whatever, you know, where hee-haw was high art. <laughs> I yeah. was just like, oh my God. And I, I remember TNN. So I yes. was laughing. But basically, at one point, Tanaka gets Awesome Bomb through a table, and it looks like it snapped his neck. Like, the first time that it happened, and they're like, and even Mick was like, that's not the way you want to land through a table. <laughs> you don't want to land, you don't want to go neck first. And I'm like, okay. So basically, this match, to break this match down, I'm going to break this match down move by move. 83 Awesome Bombs through a table later, Mike Awesome wins. Now, I just, I, that was my takeaway from this match, was that it was just a lot of awesome bombs through tables, but the fans were, like, doing the, the, the religious fecal chant, so. Were there I'm any like, disgusting chair shots in this match? There might have been, but okay. I don't remember. Why? Um, cause no, these are two guys that were, like, Masato Tanaka, part of his gimmick was to take some of the hardest, 
uh, chair shots that you would ever see and no sell them to prove how tough he was. Right. Um, so I don't really remember because this is one of those matches that I was just kind of like, I liked, but I got, but the fans really got behind it. So Mike Awesome wins. So now after a match that like has the crowd ramped up. Now, I fi- before what? you go to that, I do just want to mention one thing. Okay. One of the most notorious things from this match. And yes, Joey Styles has given Mike Awesome the business during this match. Right. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. Mike okay. Awesome does a suicide dive to the outside. Yes, I did, I did actually have that written down. I'm and sorry. Joey Styles says, it's a shame he didn't succeed in taking his own life. Yes. Less than two months later, Mike Awesome would actually commit suicide. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Awkward. Uh, <laughs> oof. So, I was actually going to mention that, but I kind of steered away from it. But anyway. Right. Um, so, after this crazy match... Now is the time that they probably want to calm the fans down, have your smoke break. Right, like this is when well, you'd have like a girls match or right. a cute little purple ropes wrestlers match or something yeah, like that. Yeah, flippy flops, something like that. So I figured I went I went for a, to the bathroom break and I came back <laughs> ten minutes later. Did I miss anything, Joe? Oh, you didn't pause the DVD, Todd? Oh, I forgot. No. So I so who comes out but Polly Heyman. Now, once again, one of my favorite people. Not a wrestler from ECW, so I'm sticking to my guns, Joe. Sticking to my guns. Where it's where it's Alfonso, it's Polly Heyman and Joel Gertner. And maybe I wouldn't have been taking that trek down the highway to see East. I probably would have been. All right. So so out comes Polly Heyman. He looks like he's all choked up too. I will admit, you know what I mean. He's he does the thank yous, which is cool. Uh, you know, and just, just going on and he thanks everybody. Um, and I'm guessing that's going to be it. That's going to be the, you know, cause he's a good guy. He's going to thank, but then Joe, no, he was going to take the high road, but guess what? He did not take the high road, Joe. What? He had a, he had a few things to say. He had a, he was, he was like, Hey, look who's up in the balcony. Hide your wives, kids. Edge is here, and Edge does the shittiest beer spit take I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, literally, he like he's, like, sipping the beer slowly, waiting for Heyman to hit him with it. And then it's like, and he's looking around. He's like, did you hear what, it, what he said about me? Oh, my God. You know, that, that angry wrestler thing. Um just, just you, and the fans, you screwed Matt, you screwed Matt. I'm like, th- this is hysterical. And then uh, Heyman's like, JBL, Mr. Shoot promo, Mr. They bounce checks. And there's like JBL right, pretending to write checks and bouncing them off the ground. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but I literally love it. Um, the only reason you're champ is because Triple H didn't want to work on a Tuesday. Oh I'm my like, goodness. I'm like, I don't even know what all this means. I'm guessing it's because SmackDowns were on Tuesdays. Right. They and would he's tape, like, they would tape on Tuesdays and then air like Thursdays or Fridays. I don't remember exactly when at this time. Right. So now JBL, who might be a little inebriated at this point. A smidge. A smidge starts doing his very timely impersonation of Fred Sanford from Sanford and Son. Right. And because he's been hit so hard, he starts yelling Elizabeth and grabbing his chest. Now, being a 44-year-old man, 
I know what this is, but I love, he should have thrown out a few My Three Sons references while he was at it. It just made me laugh. Um, just, I just actually love Paul Hammond running everybody down. Um, good enough for me. I love the fact that he actually had the earphones on over his neck because he was running things from the, from the orangutan spot back there. It's, it's all good. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I got my Paulie Hammond, so good to go. Now we get a Devil's Reject trailer. By the way, I actually like the Devil's Rejects. One of my, I have few favorite horror movies. Yes. That's one of them. Uh, A great film, yes. I just thought you would like to know that. I did. So so now, they tell me, this is when I check the time on the DVD, Joe. And they're like, this is the main event. (laughs) This is the main event. And I'm like, wait a minute. I have my time codes on this. There's got to be 50 minutes left in this. (laughs) This is going to be a 50-minute match? Hmm. But it's going to be the Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dreamer and Sandman in a tag team match. So now, you know, blah, 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 Dudley Boys are in the ring. You know, Tommy Dreamer comes out. Now, that's all well and good, Joe. But Sandman stealing Roman Reigns' gimmick coming through the crowd. Italian precipitation, did it first, did it better. <laughs> he's coming through the crowd. Enter Sandman's blasted. He's drinking beer. People are going fucking crazy. He's got a Singapore cane, which is a kendo stick to me, but he's got a Singapore cane. There's a fan next to him holding Sandman's hand, hitting himself in the head with the kendo stick, Joe. <laughs> Attention to deficit syndrome criminal. All right. There you go. Just want to to remind you. So he's going through the crowd, coming down to the ring. I got goosebumps right now, Joe. I got goosebumps. He's coming down. I don't know how many people fill a bingo hall, Joe. But all of them singing Enter Sandman to him coming down, drinking the beer, going crazy. I have to admit. This is fantastic. Then he walks over. He just pours a drink on some girl's chest and starts motorboating her, right? And I'm like, fantastic. I'm sure this would fly in 2017, by the way. Number two, I'm hoping that was a stunt motorboater. Because, like, you know, they have stunt grandmas? That that was a plant that that they put her in the audience. I do just want to interject. You say, Mm -hmm. I don't think this would fly in 2017. This past August, AIW ran a show outside in the parking lot of a bar that was highlighted by the Sandman doing this exact same thing. Right. So now I don't, I don't know if that was the girl that he was supposed to do it on. Right. Because then he ends up going over and pours beer on Daredevil's girlfriend. <laughs> Daredevil's girlfriend. I don't know. There was some person there they called Electra. Oh, okay. Yeah. She was like one of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was so, the plant, sure. So I don't know if the first one was a mistake, and he was just like, ah, hot chick, beer. Oh, no, wait, I was supposed to do it on Electra. So they go over. So him and Tommy Dreamer both lick the beer off of, off Electra's chest, and then that's when Mick Foley chimes in with the helpful information. Gosh, by the you know, I know those beers that they poured on Electra were cold. I can tell. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So now... 
the Blue World Order shows up for no apparent reason. Got to get everybody on the show, brother. Everybody's got to oh. get a payday. Oh, and this is where, <laughs> shortly after this, Joe, my breaking down this match is going to stop. Okay. Because this match broke down itself into fucking chaos. Right. right? So the Blue World Order comes out. And that's when Joey Styles starts talking about the Blue World Order. And he goes, and that's another lawsuit that we won. Because it was a parody. They couldn't sue us. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. They're a parody of the New World Order, whatever. And he's like, I wonder what Bischoff is thinking up in the chair seeing the Blue World Order when, you know, he couldn't do anything about it. Just as a, so, just as a side note, I do want to mention this. Um, 1997, uh, ECW is getting ready to do their first pay-per-view. WWF's down, man. They're, you know, they're... Uh, three months away from, you know, Austin really breaking through. WCW's kicking their ass. So they partner up with ECW, and they're doing stuff with ECW, right? So BWO comes out in an episode of Monday Night Raw, and it's Vince and Jerry Lawler on commentary. And, you know, Jerry Lawler is like the guy's like, ah, ECW stinks, ha, 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 And Vince is not, you know, Mr. McMahon. He's, well, look at that, you know, what a maneuver. One, two, three, he got him. Oh, no, wait, you know, he's he's old Vince, right? And BWO comes out, and obviously the whole thing is a ripoff, a parody of the NWO. But Vince can't acknowledge the competition on TV. So what does he say? He goes, uh, they're wearing a tire uh, similar to that of a very popular clothing line. Wow. <laughs> One of my favorite Vince-isms, a very popular clothing line. A corner person, right? <laughs> Very special corner person. Right. So, now, I don't even remember what happens with the new Blue World Order. They got beat up or whatever. Because now it's getting fuzzy. Right. I'm starting, the, the endorphins are kicking in. I'm getting attention deficit syndrome. I want to steal cards at this point. <laughs> you want to grab the Sandman's cane and hit yourself with Something it. Something the head. I want to pour beer on strange women. I'm just like, I'm all in, right? So now... Uh, the, the match is going on. The the high the the the, the star of the, the the match is the cheese grater. Uh, just it's going back and forth. People are running in. People I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's just tag teams and just incredible. You get what I'm saying? Like right. it's 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 chaos at this point. Then they bring in lighter fluid and start pouring it all over a table, and they put you know. Uh, uh, Tommy Dreamer wins. I don't know. Sandman and Tommy Dreamer win because I'm like, that's got to be a fire code hazard, something. But I was like, at least it went out quickly and nothing burned down. And pe like, there wasn't a fire. And e thankfully, there wasn't a fire in an ECW show and people had to leave fast because right. that would have been terrible. Especially if one of those people had a broken leg. But anyway, that. But that's neither here nor there. So they win. Now Sandman starts screaming, "Get me a beer! Get me a beer!" Get me a beer. And somebody must have dropped the glass because I heard glass shatter, Joe. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, not Stevie, not not Stone Cold, Joe. So I for, like, you know, I forgot from the promos. Right. Attention deficit syndrome. Um, I forgot that he was, you know, part of ECW. He comes out. For some reason, he's wearing a jersey that says Outlaws on the back. And. At, at one point, Joey Styles goes, I won't mention the, the jersey he's wearing. So I didn't get that reference. I don't know either. Right. So he comes out, 
and he gets in there and he's like, get everybody. Before I get you a beer, get everybody out. Get all those boys out in the back. So out they come, all, all of them, the whole ECW crew, everybody that was on prom, whatever happened that night. And they're all standing in the ring. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, and you cowards up there, Bischoff and this guy and that guy and JBL. He's like, you're all cowards. Come on down here. I'll give you the count of 10 or I'm coming up to get you. 10, 9, Eight, and they start single filing down and the and the fucking you know there's the help now they're not flicking their tickets anymore this is real joe right so they're coming down he's like get in this ring and now i have to admit seeing the ecw crew versus the 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 wwe whatever smackdown raw they're all in the ring taz comes out and you know taz means business because he has his he has his uh old towel on his head and it's just gonna go now was was angle and taz feuding at the time um no but they had like a piece of business when they both came into the company if you remember from way back when uh you know you always talk about like how you saw the first kurt angle promo and you're like i completely get what this guy's about uh kurt has like a three- or four-month winning streak, and he has an open challenge at one of the pay-per-views. Taz comes out, and Taz is the first guy that gave him a loss in WWF. Okay. So now he brings out, and, you know, and, and Bischoff, being a coward, goes to the commentation commentation station with uh, Mick Foley, and they're just going to go at it, and... It just, it just breaks down, Joe. It just, to, uh, like, a, 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 they're fighting each other. And I'm like, this is legitimately cool. They're just going there. So the reason I ask that is because Taz and Angle fall out of the ring and they have a bit and he makes Angle tap or whatever. And I just thought because they focused on him, them. Do you know what I mean? It was right, pushing right. something, just the logic, the wrestling logic that you've taught me over the years. Um, so that goes and then, you know, all the, all the, uh, all the people are leaving and, and, and Austin asked Mick if he could grab him by the scruff of the neck and bring Bischoff down there. And Bischoff's trying to escape doing that, that, you know, the, the beg off kind of thing. Right. <laughs> trying to jump into the crowd. And Joe, the crowd's not helping him. No. The crowd is not helping Bischoff. So he's bringing another ring. Now fucking Austin has JBL's smushed hat on his head. <laughs> and he brings him out and he gets Bischoff is like begging. He's like, he gets the three one nine. He gets this, he gets that, you know, they're doing the finishing. And he's like, do you have anything to say now Bischoff? I'm going to give you the interview after all that. And he just basically like, fuck the ECW. <laughs> and you know, get up. They stone cold stun him. I'm like, I, it's just craziness. It's literal craziness to end the, you know what, Joe? I kind of have to admit, they may have stuck the landing on the end of this paper. <laughs> they may have. I'm just going to say. But Bischoff doing the doing everything he can to get away. The cheesy, squirmy villain was fantastic. I, I, I have to admit, I, I don't know anything about it. And like RVD said, I, there's no storylines, but they made everything interesting through many uh, matches. I was never bored. Um, I liked everything. I liked some things more than others. And some things made me cackle out loud. It was a really good pay-per-view. I'm, I'm glad. Listen, this is one that a lot of people knew was on the list. They knew it was coming. Um, whether you're a current wrestling fan or a lapsed wrestling fan, um, there was at some point in your life you were probably an ECW fan. And if you were an ECW fan, you probably saw this show, the Venn diagram of being a WWF fan and the ECW fan. This was the intersect of that moment. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, yeah, um, one of, uh, my favorite wrestling memories. Uh, the only thing about this show is I'm sad that I wasn't at it live. Oh. I did watch it from the, uh, the luxury of my home and, uh, had a really good time with it. And it's just really cool. Like, I, I went through it a bit just to kind of give you your little bits and, you know, things to look out for and whatnot, uh, peeling the curtain back with the script and everything. But after hearing you describe it, I'm probably going to end up watching it again. No, really? Two other things that I want to mention about this. Uh, Specifically, the cut that I gave you was the original pay-per-view airing because Mm -hmm. WWE only paid for the use of Metallica's Inter Sandman one time. Mm -hmm. All subsequent re-airings and the version that's on the award-winning World Wrestling Entertainment Network does not have the Sandman's, uh, or does not have Inter Sandman on there. And that is part of the Sandman's entrance. It's just, it's not the same without Inter Sandman for the Sandman, right? It might as well be And the other thing is, during that big giant brawl, when it's all the ECW guys and all the WWF guys and they're all getting ready to go, uh, JBL legitimately shot on the Blue Meanie. Really? Yes. Was not throwing worked punches at him, was throwing real punches at him, um, was severely injured, and they ended up like, uh, Blue Meanie ended up getting a job out of it for a little while. Hmm. And ended up getting an on TV victory over JBL as a sort of <laughs> don't sue us sort of thing <laughs> because we put you into the ring. Granted, obviously wrestling is a bit of a work, but you were in there with someone who was very visibly intoxicated and they took liberties on you. And obviously you're an independent contractor and so on and so forth. But this is someone who we have footage of visibly drinking and intoxicated during the course of this program. Hmm. I may have to go back and uh, look at something. Allegedly. Allegedly. Blue Meanie gets a clean pin on JBL. Yep. Well, I didn't say a clean pin. He got a pin. Let's not go crazy. Clean pin. <laughs> what is a clean All right. pin? A what, dirty what are pin. These in, what are these insider terms you're using? so to sum things up yes attention deficit syndrome criminals (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say you're not wrong (laughs) there was many in east to to this day the ecw fan base still has that um reputation the stigma that stigma if you will Mm -hmm. and uh many of the um Many of the um, fans from that era were called mutants. The ECW mutants okay, is what they were called. And to this day, one of the things that people look back least favorably about from ECW is the fans. Fair enough. I can see that. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. So I think this is going to be... We could chalk this one up to be a successful Gallifrey Birds, maybe? I hope so. It's not up for me to decide or you to decide. It's up to the fans to decide. (sighs) I hope the three of them liked it. Right, the three of them. (laughs) All right, so that does close up uh, this episode of... Longbox Heroes After Dark, number 154, Gallifrey Birds, Roman numeral 10, 
And uh, next time around, I'll give you the explanation as to why things changed. But when you hear what it changed to, you'll understand, and I think you'll uh, you'll be with me on this one. I don't think anybody will care because I'm fantastic at what I do. Right. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all here next week.